Thanks for being back out tonight on a rainy night. It was a very appropriate song, David, to talk about it, sing about a rainbow in the cloud. Maybe there will be one later on tonight. Appreciate everyone for, for getting out tonight. Well, we need to stand against false doctrine wherever it is found. And many times people will reduce false doctrine as being something that's not all that critical or doesn't really matter. In fact, doctrine these days is sort of taboo. We don't want to talk about doctrine, uh, which is impossible to not talk about doctrine. Uh, but people like to categorize certain things as being doctrine, and you shouldn't worry about them, and they're not that big a deal. But tonight I want to look at one false doctrine that on the surface might seem to be somewhat not that important, not that critical, but accepting this false doctrine opens the door and paves the way for a myriad of other doctrines that are false and are serious, and we need to talk about it as a result. Tonight I want to talk about the doctrine of total hereditary depravity. Uh, it is very similar to the doctrine of inherited sin or original sin. It takes the doctrine and the idea of original sin and inherited sin one step farther, I believe. We'll talk about that. But it's the idea that we are born sinful, that we're born completely depraved. We inherit the guilt of Adam's sin and all of the uh, consequences of that. And uh, as a result, from the very first moment we draw a breath, we're wicked and evil and, uh, and we need uh, to be saved as an infant. And so tonight I want to look at this doctrine and examine it more closely together. What is the doctrine of heredit total hereditary depravity? You know, I think the best way to understand a doctrine is to let those who hold the doctrine explain it themselves. And let's look at that tonight. John Calvin held to this doctrine, and here's what he said about it. All of us, therefore, descending from an impure seed, come into the world tainted with the contagion of sin. Nay, before we behold the light of the sun, we are in God's sight defiled and polluted. We thus see that the impurity of parents is transmitted to their children so that all, without exception, are originally depraved. The commencement of this depravity will not be found until we ascend to the first parent of all as the fountainhead. We must therefore hold it for certain that in regard to human nature, Adam was not merely a progenitor, but as it were a root, and that accordingly by his corruption the whole human race was deservedly uh, vitiated. And so John Calvin said, that we are born depraved before we see the light of day. We're wicked and depraved. And he would say that that wickedness and depravity is total in that we can't do anything good in and of ourselves because we're totally depraved. It's interesting. This, again, as I said, is more than just inherited sin. It means, it means and those who hold to this doctrine believe we're incapable of choosing good. That if we're presented with the choice between good and evil, we'll always choose evil. We're totally depraved. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the confession of faith that the Presbyterians would acknowledge and hold to, says this. They, that being Adam and Eve, being the root of all mankind, 
The guilt of this sin was imputed, and the same death and sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, to precede all actual transgressions. This is maybe more uh, to the point, as we talked about here. They say, it says here, we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil. We're totally, hereditarily depraved. We're born this way, totally inclined to evil and not inclined to good. That's what the Presbyterians would teach. The, Pil the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, which is what many Baptists would hold to or did at one point, says this, Our first parents, by the, by the sin, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all faculties and parts of soul and body, they being the root and by God's appointment standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of their sin was imputed and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin, and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. From this original corruption whereby all are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, to precede all actual transgressions. Again, we're totally inclined to evil. It's interesting that this, this false doctrine, as many do, take from in them, they take phrases out of the Bible and apply them in the wrong way. They talk about here um, that... Uh, Death came upon all, being dead in sin, um, and, um, and those phrases we remember out of the book of Romans that are misapplied here. But they suggest again that we're totally depraved, and this is from birth. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, says, We are condemned before we have done good or evil under the curse before we know what it is. We're born cursed. We're born condemned. We bear the guilt of Adam's sin, John Wesley would say. Some would go as far as suggesting that when a baby cries, that baby is displaying its sinful nature. Augustine said this, Who can recall to me the sins I committed as a baby? For in your sight no man is free from sin, not even a child who has lived only one day on earth. It can hardly be right for a child, even at that age, to cry for everything, including things which would harm him, to work himself into a tantrum against people older than himself and not required to obey him, and to try his best to strike and hurt others who know better than he does, including his own parents, when they do not give in to him and refuse to pander to whims which would only do him harm. This shows that if babies are innocent, it is not for lack of will to do harm, but for lack of strength. Babies are born wicked, and their crying, he would say, demonstrates that. Now, this teaching is prevalent, and you may not have even noticed it. There's some 
controversy about this, but it appears that this thinking even made its way into the familiar song that's sung at Christmas time, Silent Night. There's a, a verse in that in that song that goes like this: The cattle are lowing, the baby, baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Because Jesus, they believe, was born innocent, and so he wouldn't cry if crying is a demonstration of sinfulness in a baby. As you noted throughout these uh, these verses, or these uh, quotes that we have had on the screen, they referenced ordinary generation, and they believe that, that in the uh, act of conception that we uh, obtain this guiltiness and this this inherited depravity. Jesus was not conceived like everyone else. Jesus did not inherit that sin, they think, they say. And that is the doctrine of, uh, of Mary's immaculate conception. Now, it is not the doctrine that Mary uh, became pregnant from the Holy Spirit. That's not the conception they're talking about. They take it one step farther and say that Mary, in some way, did not receive that sinful nature, so she couldn't pass it on to Jesus. And that is her immaculate conception. Others will take another flair on that and another variation of that and say that we do get this inherited depravity through conception, but it comes through the father's line and not the mother's. And so since Jesus didn't have a physical father, he didn't inherit uh, that total depravity. So that's what people say who believe in the doctrine of total hereditary depravity. And they have verses that they use to defend it. And I wanted to look at some of those with you tonight so we can see what verses they will turn to to try and show that we do inherit sin, that we are totally depraved, totally inclined to evil and guilty and condemned in God's sight the moment that we're born. They might turn to verses like Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Those who would claim this idea of total hereditary depravity would say, Look here, in, in Noah's day, everybody was wicked. And therefore, this demonstrates that we have this wicked nature that we're born with. Well, it doesn't say that we were born this way or that they were born this way, does it? It says that they were wicked. And we know that not everybody was born this way because Noah in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 says this about him. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Well, Noah didn't have that same characteristic that everyone else had in his day. In fact, Genesis chapter 6 verse 12 tells us how this happened. And it wasn't because the people in Noah's day were born wicked or corrupt or depraved. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. They weren't born this way. They had corrupted. Whoops, that's, I didn't get the verse changed. I'm sorry. Genesis 6, verse 12 says that, they, that flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so uh, that's how it happened. Genesis 6, verse 5 does not teach total hereditary depravity. Psalm 51 verses 1 through 5 is another one that is a favorite of those who hold to this idea of inherited sin or total hereditary depravity. Psalm 51 verse 1 beginning, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. 
Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before you, me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that I, you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, down through verse 4, sounds a whole lot like David did the sinning, doesn't it? And notice verse 5. This is the verse that those who hold to this doctrine would like to pull out. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. There you go. He was conceived in sin, and he was brought forth in iniquity. But notice this verse doesn't teach that David was the one who was guilty of the iniquity, or that he was the one who was sinful when he was conceived. David's talking about his mother and his family and the environment that he was brought into into the world the wickedness of the world he was brought forth into that and in sin his mother conceived him his mother was sinful he was brought into a sinful world and he followed suit and he sinned like everyone else in the world sinned but not that he was born that way not that he was born totally depraved how about psalm 53 psalm 53 beginning of verse 1 is another passage that those will turn to. In Psalm 53, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And so those who hold to this doctrine of total hereditary depravity who say, see, here you go. Everybody's doing bad. Everybody's doing wicked. And they certainly are. We can't argue with that. All sin. But it doesn't say that they were born this way, does it? It doesn't say those that everyone was born wicked, and that's why we have the situation in the world. In fact, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. They have done it. They didn't inherit it. They've done it. In verse 2, it says here, there's none who good good. Uh, they, they don't, there's none who seek God. Babies can't seek God. They've all turned aside, verse 3. Not that they were born into it. They've turned aside, and they've become corrupt. They're not born corrupt, but they've become corrupt. They have become corrupt. This passage does not teach total hereditary depravity. Psalm 58, verse 3. Psalm 58, verse 3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Well, see, here you go. Babies are born, and they go, they go astray as soon as they are born, it says, because they have this wicked nature. Well, this is poetic language. This is poetic language. We know this because babies don't speak. Newborn babies don't speak lies. This is poetic language describing uh, our tendency, our, our, our sinfulness as we go astray, as we are not born that way, but we, we choose evil. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, is, a, is a, another passage that is a favorite, and let's look at it quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, beginning. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of David, who is a type of him who was to come. 
But as the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as uh, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This passage, they would say, teaches that we are born sinners, that we're born depraved because we have this death that spread to all men. Death spread to all men. In other words, we just are born into this depraved nature and we all have it. And they would look at Babies who die and see they say, see here, babies die. That must mean that they're sinful. I'll tell you, there's two different types of death, aren't there? This is not talking about physical death. This is talking about spiritual death. Physical death is a consequence of sin, but spiritual death is what comes as a result of sin. Adam and Eve were told that the day they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were going to die. Did they die that day? Oh, they absolutely did, didn't they? And it wasn't that the process of death started that day, their physical death. No, they died that day. They died spiritually that day. They were separated from God. And that death has spread to all men. But why did it spread? Because all sinned. When we sin, when we transgress against God's law, we are separated from him and we die. Furthermore, this talks about this being a, an action that is very much like our justification through Christ, the gift that comes through Christ. And if this is something that's passive, that we're just born into it, then our salvation is passive as well. And simply, that idea doesn't fit with the context. Romans chapter 5 is not talking about inherited, original sin, or total hereditary depravity. Another passage that's very similar to that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. All die, they say, in Adam. In other words, we're all inheriting Adam's sin. We're all born depraved. We're all uh, born disposed to evil and opposed to anything good. But this is not talking about something we're born in. Because it also talks about in Christ all shall be made alive. It is a decision we make to follow in Adam's footsteps, and that results in our death. Versus the decision to follow Christ that results in our living. And finally, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. As, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Those who hold to this doctrine would like to go here and pull out the fact that we were by nature. We were by nature the children of wrath. In other words, we were born that way. We were born condemned, as those quotes that we read mention. But the idea of being by nature the children of wrath doesn't mean that we were born that way. It means that it was our habit. It was the way that we were living. You might work with someone who every day on his lunch break, I worked with some guys like this when I was in college, every day they went and walked around the parking lot of work for exercise. And I was a young strapping boy at the time and I thought, what a waste of time. Walking, that's really exercise? That doesn't do anything for me. Although I know, when I, as I get a little older, I would realize how much exercise that was. So they'd walk. But you could say about those men, it was their nature to walk during their lunch hour. It was their habit. And that describes us in sin as well, doesn't it? It was our habit, our nature, to walk in ways that were not pleasing to God. It doesn't mean that we're born that way. A lot of verses that folks will use to try to defend this, but when we look at the context and what the passages are teaching, we're seeing they don't teach what those who would claim they teach uh, are teaching. So what does the Bible teach about the doctrine of total hereditary depravity? Does the Bible teach depravity? It does. But notice how depravity happens. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29, the preacher says, Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Did God make us wicked? No. Were we born wicked? No. We've sought out many schemes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. How did they get to the state that they were in? How did they get to that depraved state that they were in? They gave themselves over, didn't they? They gave themselves over. They weren't born that way. The scriptures over and over again teach us the fact that we can give ourselves to sin. We can submit to the devil and do his, to do his will. Not that we're born that way, but it is a decision that we make. Romans chapter 1, a passage that we looked at a few weeks ago in our Sunday morning Bible class. This passage talks about some terrible things, a lot of depravity in here. But notice how these folks got to that state, and it is not something that they were born with. Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Not that they were born futile in their thoughts. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts weren't born darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened as a result of what they did. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up 
Not that they were born this way. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in the lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. You remember those quotes said we were born totally opposed to anything good. And were totally uh, inclined to evil. No, God gave them over to that to do those things which are not fitting. As a result of the decisions these people had made, that's how they got in the condition that they were in. The Bible says we can become depraved. But it's as a result of our decision and our action, not something that we're born with. Furthermore, the Bible teaches that children are innocent. Notice Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39, Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. You remember what happened here is God is uh, punishing the Israelites for their lack of faith, that they could take the land. God said these people are going to fall away and die in the wilderness but the little ones who have no knowledge of good and evil, they were innocent, weren't they? They had no knowledge of good and evil. They weren't born wicked and corrupt. In Genesis chapter 3, notice again verse 39 of Deuteronomy chapter 1, these, folk, these children had no knowledge of good and evil. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 5, what did the serpent tell Eve? For God knows that the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When Adam and Eve fell, they knew good and evil. Children are born innocent. They don't have the same curse that Adam and Eve had, do they? And notice it goes on in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, one of us, to know good and evil. Those quotes we said that we read said that we inherited the depravity from Adam and Eve that we are corrupted because the root was corrupted. Now the root knows good and evil, but children aren't born knowing good and evil. Children are innocent. That's what it says in the Bible. Jesus believed that children were innocent in Matthew chapter 18, beginning of verse 1. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning of verse 1, at, the, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will not know by, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, we need to become like little children. Now, do you remember the quotes that we read? Do you remember, for instance, the one of, from Augustine? Who can recall to me the sins I committed as a baby? For in your sight, no man is free from sin, not even a child who has lived only one day on earth. Jesus said we need to be like that. We need to be like uh, John Wesley said, uh, condemned before we have done good or evil, under the curse before we know what it is. Or like the uh, Philadelphia Confession of Faith, Faith says, we need to be utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, to precede all actual transgressions. 
Is that what Jesus is saying? Unless you become uh, as can be converted and become as little children who are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made free, made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus believed that children were born innocent. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Children are innocent. Now, children do have to bear the consequence of their parents' sin. We have experiences in our lives of children who bear the consequence of their parents' sins. And some of the, uh, the folks here tonight would probably say you bear some consequences from your parents' sins. We know this is true from the uh, incident of David and Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is born to you shall surely die. Children may have to suffer the physical consequences of their parents' sins. But they're not uh, being punished or they're not assuming the guilt of their parents' sins. That's very clear. Furthermore, as we look at what the Bible teaches about whether or not we're born totally depraved, that we inherit sin, we inherit Adam's, the guilt of Adam's sin, Notice also that God creates our spirit. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. God forms the spirit of the man within him. If we believe that we're born with a wicked, depraved, soul that is totally inclined to evil and totally opposed to good, then who's creating that spirit? God is, isn't he? God is creating wicked spirits. Is that true? Do you believe that about God, that he's creating spirits who are evil? He's creating little babies, evil? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We're impugning God when we say that we're born evil and corrupt. The Bible goes on and says that sinfulness isn't something that we're born with, but sinfulness starts in our youth. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Genesis 8, verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. God said that man's heart was evil from his youth. In our youth we go astray. And God noted that in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 25 says, We lie down in our shame and our reproach covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth to this day. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 39 said that children are born innocent. They don't know good or evil. But at some point in their youth they go astray. And that's what God said in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. That's what Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 25 says. And that's what Paul experienced in Romans chapter 7. 
In Romans chapter 7, notice what Paul said about his own childhood and his own youth and his own experience. In Romans 7, beginning verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known such uh, known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking a opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Paul said, I was alive once without the law. Paul never lived when the law didn't exist. But Paul didn't know good and evil when he was born. When he got to the age where he could understand good and evil, he went astray and he died. Sin starts in our youth. It's not something that we're born with. The Bible's clear on that. Furthermore, this idea of inherited sin, original sin, or total hereditary depravity tells us that we will be punished and condemned. That's what those quotes that we looked at earlier said. We'll be condemned for something that we inherited. We inherit the guilt of Adam's sin and we'll be punished for that unless we receive salvation. But that's not what the Bible teaches us about punishment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Why will you be punished if you are punished eternally? It won't be because of something you inherited. It'll be because of something you did in the body. We'll be punished for what we do. And furthermore, when we understand what the Bible says about what sin is, we'll understand that sin isn't something that we could inherit. We can't inherit Adam's sin because sin is something that you do. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Other translations might say sin is transgression. We sin when we transgress God's law. James 4 verse 17 gives us more details about that. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Sin is doing what you're not supposed to do or not doing what you're supposed to do. It's not something that can be given to others. It's not something that can be inherited. And the passage that Joseph read for us, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 19 beginning, Yet you should say, why uh, should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous, of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Those, Pat, those quotes that we read said that we bear the guilt of our forefather Adam. Ezekiel chapter 18 says that's not possible. That's not the way it works. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16 says something similar. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. We don't inherit sin from our fathers. The Bible's clear. Children are born innocent. Well, as we started the lesson tonight... We mentioned that we need to be opposed to all false doctrine because it can open the door and pave the way for other false doctrines. And in conclusion tonight, we might ask the question, why does it matter? Why does it matter if we're born sinners or if we become sinners after we're born? Because at the end of the day, 
we're all sinners, aren't we? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So whether we're born in the pile of sinners or we choose to go and be a sinner, what does it really matter, you might say? I'll tell you, it matters because this doctrine leads the way and paves the way for a lot of other false doctrines that are very egregious. For example, this is the first tenet in the five tenets of Calvinism. And each one of them is false based upon what the scriptures teach. But when I accept that I'm totally born sinful, then I have to accept unconditional election, which is the next tenet of Calvinism. That is, as the quote said, I'm totally opposed to anything that's good. Therefore, I couldn't decide to follow God unless God were to choose me. Unconditional election. Well, if I believe that, then I believe God's a respecter of persons because he chose me and didn't choose you. And also, the next tenet then is limited atonement. That Christ didn't die for the sins of the world, which the Bible says he did, but Christ only died for those who were chosen to be saved. And that if God works on me and chooses me to be saved, then the next tenet is irresistible grace. I can't decide that I don't want to be saved because God's the one who chose me to be saved, and so now I'm going to be saved. And perseverance to the saints, I can't fall away. Once saved, always saved. Do you see how accepting this false doctrine that may seem like we're arguing over or something that doesn't make any difference really does make a difference because it opens the door for all these other false doctrines. This doctrine also means if I accept that I'm born totally depraved and I inherit Adam's sin, this doctrine also demands that God has to work on me in some way. To make my heart where I'll be receptive to his word. If I'm born totally depraved and totally opposed to everything good and totally disposed to everything evil, then it requires that God work on me in some way to open my heart to the word of God. That again makes God a respecter of persons. And that again violates what the scriptures teach about the grace of God being made available to all men. And that God wants all men to be saved. But when I accept this doctrine of total hereditary depravity, it demands that God has to be working on my heart before I can be receptive to his word. It's not true. I want to tell you there are some Christians today who are saying things that are the equivalent of this, that God has to work on your heart somehow, that God has to open your heart to his word, that God has to work on you before you can be receptive to his word. It's a dangerous idea, and it's not supported by the scriptures. We need to be careful about the language that we use. This doctrine also opens up the door for infant baptism. Lord willing, next week I'd like to talk about infant baptism. Because if we're born sinners, and my little baby, if he were to die before he could be baptized, then he's going to be punished eternally. And so, to deal with this false doctrine of inherited depravity and original sin practice of baptizing babies has been introduced. And where we baptize babies when they don't have a clue about what's going on, but we believe that we're baptizing them, some would say, so they can be saved from their sins that they inherited from Adam. This sin, this doctrine paves the way for that. It also paves the way for the doctrine of limbo. Have you ever heard of the doctrine of limbo? The doctrine of limbo is not something that's played at the roller rink. The doctrine of limbo is something that the Roman Catholic Church created because there were babies that were dying before they could be sprinkled, baptized. 
And their parents were worried about, well, was little Johnny going to be in hell? And no, 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 no. We don't have hell. What we have, Johnny is just in limbo. It's not heaven or it's, it's not hell. It's just a place that's in between. And Johnny will be all right there. Please find limbo for me anywhere in the Bible. You won't find it. But it is a doctrine that was brought about because of this false doctrine of total hereditary depravity or original sin. You can see the problems with doctrines if they're unscriptural, how they can lead to us accepting other things that are not scriptural. And we need to understand that. And we need to remember that. Anytime we're tempted to compromise with a doctrine that's not pure, with a doctrine that can't be supported in the scriptures, even though those who might be proponents of that doctrine might say, oh, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. No, we have to stand opposed to false doctrine because it can open the door for more and more deviations from the truth as this doctrine has as well. Total hereditary depravity is a false doctrine. But as Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, that we looked at, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The question for us tonight is, have we had our sins forgiven? Are we in a right relationship with God? And if you're not, there's no better time than right now to get in that right relationship with God. And if we can help, will you let us know while we stand and sing?